WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Sam's and Fleischmann's. Sam's Country Store Deli and Gas Station. Open every day for groceries, Mexican herbs, local craft beer, and with food to go, sandwiches, tortas, and tacos, and tamales on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sam's on Main Street in Fleischmann's. Sam'sCountryStoreNY.com. Diamond Hollow Books on Main Street in Andes for secondhand vintage and new books. Specializing in literature, the arts, Dante, mycology, and Emily Dickinson. Children's books and stationery. And Diamond Hollow also purchases used books. Open Thursday through Sunday, 10 to 5, by appointment or anytime the front door is open. Upstairs at 72 Main Street, Andes. Readings, book signings, and event schedule at diamondhollowbooks.com. Watershed. Roxbury's Coffee Shop and Market on Main Street in historic Roxbury. Open from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sunday through Wednesday with extended market hours until 6 p.m. Thursday through Saturday. Coffee, breakfast, and lunch in the cafe and in the market prepared meals to go in basics like dairy, produce, dry goods, beer, and cider. Watershed, Main Street in Roxbury, watershedroxbury.com. And on Instagram at Watershed Roxbury. Peek-a-Moose Restaurant on State Route 28 in Big Indian with farm-to-table cuisine Thursday through Monday. Indoor dining from 4 to 9 p.m. Takeout till 10. Peekamoose.com or 845-254-6500. 845-254-6500. Hi, this is Arnie Schwartz, host of Talk of the Town on WIOX Roxbury. I'm also board chair at Margaretville Hospital. I have some important news about new jobs at Margaretville Hospital and Mountainside Residential Care Center. The hospital and the residential care center have an immediate need for experienced and newly graduated registered nurses, LPNs, and certified nursing assistants. New positions are now open offering competitive salary and benefit packages and significant sign-on and retention bonuses. Learn more at jobs at hahv.org. Jobs at hahv.org.
Okay, if you're just listening uh, right now, it's WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi, and everywhere at WIOXradio.org, on computers or smartphones, and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. John, how's it going? Things are good, Ryan. How are you? All right. What have you been up to? Um, well, I cut a bunch of firewood trees last week, so I've been working on splitting those up. Got about half done. Um, and now that there's no snow, it's easy to walk, and deer season's over. I've been just going for strolls in the woods, going for walks up ridges, and some of my spare time. Oh, yeah? Yeah, not far. Just up a ridge, down a ridge. Yeah. Seeing what I see. How about you? I went and tapped trees. Wow. So, yeah, 2nd of January is the earliest I think I've ever tapped. And actually, I tapped the first, and I boiled the second. So Wow, so how's the flow? Well, it just started running, and then it shut off because it's actually too warm. So they probably didn't run anything today. It didn't run yesterday, so I, I doubt anything today. But um, I actually took it out of the pan and put it in my freezer, what was in the pan. I didn't want it to go bad. But it probably will run... Uh, Friday? Saturday. Saturday will probably run. Cool. It's not going to freeze in my area until Friday night. So. And what's the two-week forecast looking for you? It's looking great. Awesome. Yeah, probably run here too, a little bit. Yeah, I know I cut a maple, well, one of the maple trees I cut last week. That thing was flowing. There's a couple pole-sized sugar maple I cut down. Yeah, sugar content was 2.5%. So that's um, 33 to 1, 33 gallons of uh, sap to 1 gallon of syrup, normal for for me on those uh, yard trees. But, um, yeah, we'll see. You don't know until it happens, really. Hopefully the weather holds, you know. Um, it's a warm spell. I wouldn't have done it, but the whole 10 day is very mild. So uh, right into the 16th of January, and once you get to the 16th, well, February is right around the corner. It could turn a corner and be very cold, but that's okay. Doesn't matter to me. So everything's set up. You know, the hardest part is just setting things up. Yeah. Um, so what's this is your earliest? Have you ever done anything like this this early, or this just yeah happens to be a couple of days earlier than the last? Maybe a week or two earlier. I, I have tapped in January before, and done just fine. Yeah, it's yeah. made the same yield. Yeah, there's no there's no difference. Good. There's no difference. I think uh, the advantage we have over our forefathers is that we have um, 10-day forecasts. You know, it's a pretty good thing. Weather Channel. Right. Right. <laughs> so it may, you could tell the difference between just a, a slight warm-up or a whole warm period. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I haven't seen any decrease in my season. You know, it's usually about four to six weeks long uh some years really bad and some years very very long so but on average oh, four weeks mm-hmm. yeah four weeks nice oh that's exciting last year was a, a very typical year for central ulster county lower in elevation it was um mid-february to mid-march so that's usually when it occurs from what i've been told by people who have been doing it for decades <laughs> anyway well, that's that's fun. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to tap at all this year. We'll see. No? I don't know. We'll see how things go. Got some things going on? Yeah, well, my wife's due for a baby January 30th, so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what uh, what to, I just don't know. Don't know what to expect and if it's worth my time this year to focus on other things. I got some. I got plenty of service syrup left over from last year. Yeah, some people for personal use. do it every other year. You know, I know Dick Sanford, he does that. He'll do it every other year if he has a good year. Yeah. But I don't know. I like being in the sugar house. Uh, especially, I like doing it early. You know, January and February is really, January is a little early because the holidays just ended. But um, if I had to pick time, it would be February. And it's, for selfish reasons, it's still dark when you get home. And I don't really feel like doing, there's really not much to do any anything else anyway. Yeah. But when March comes around, it's light out when you get home from work or, or you know, pretty late. And, you know, I'd rather be doing other things at that point. So right. I'm glad about this earlier season. Oh, and by March, things, not always, but sometimes things are even beginning to dry out a little bit if we didn't have a heavy snowpack. Yeah. And then you can get out and do some whatever other type of work you do, you know, maybe yard work or firewood or whatever you want to tackle it's really early you know winter we'll see how it goes in april right but um i had a feeling it's gonna be a really cold snowy winter and that could definitely still happen but the forecast is not showing that i mean december was cold you had some cold days there hunting it, it, you know opening day of the season cold. was frigid yeah I, I can't remember one colder than that in the near term yep but so so it is. But anyway, tonight's show is Islands in the Forest. And uh, a little background about this and how I came up with this Islands in the Forest. Back in 2004, uh, people who listen to this show probably know, used to be an assistant forest ranger, which, you know, you, you work in the backcountry for the New York State DEC seasonally. Uh, where I worked was mostly the Slide Mountain Wilderness Area. And and sundown wild forest for the most part, but in any case, I was uh, patrolling a ridge called Panther Mountain. There's a ridge that comes off of Panther Mountain, and I was with my supervisor at the time, the for uh, you know the full-time forest ranger and another assistant forest ranger. And you know, I like to believe our identification skills are decent. You know, we all went to the New York State Ranger School, I believe, and. It just goes to show you that context matters when you're identifying plants, trees. And on top of the ridge, so it's around 3,300 feet or so in elevation, 3,200, maybe upwards of 35 in places on that ridge. And I saw this, this evergreen shrubby thing that had little red berries, and it just didn't occur to me that it would, it would be the same one, same plant I would see in landscapes down below like in Phoenicia or Kingston or something. And it was American yew, which is known by Taxus canadensis. And it, it produces those red berries that, I guess the fleshy part of it is, I think, edible, but the seed is poisonous. I forget. I don't eat them. But I, I just didn't know what it was. And, we're, and the reason why we couldn't identify it is it was out of place and it's rarely seen. Yeah, if you Have you ever seen one? I want to say yes, and I want to say it was with you, but I cannot remember 
Where? Yeah. So I, I guess no. I don't know. So yeah, yeah, consciously seen it. If you go up in New Hampshire, I remember I went to a silviculture training in New Hampshire ten years ago, and uh, we get, we parked the uh, car on the way and you know took a leak or something. And in the in the woods, there in upper elevations near Mount Washington, first of all, there's two plants: one sugar maple, like crazy. Mm. I mean, just everywhere. And the second was American yew, just carpeting the forest floor. That's where I've seen it. In uh, New Hampshire? No, Maine. Yeah. It was in Maine. We walked through. We got through a stand of balsams and got to the other side of the balsams uh, on a sugar maple slope facing north. There's where I saw the, That's where I saw it. Yeah, it, it kind of arches, and it grows in the ground. Its other common name is called ground hemlock. It doesn't grow above four feet. So it's always within the browse line of deer. Mm-hmm. Now up there in New Hampshire and Maine, it's kind of outside the whitetail's range. If I had to say what is within the whitetail deer's range, the heart of it, I would say it's from here west into New York State, actually starting anywhere in this latitude, into Pennsylvania, all of Pennsylvania, and then west into like almost the Great Lakes until you run out of trees. And the reason why I say that is because of snow, and they need some tree cover. Deer like some cover, heavy cover too. Mm-hmm. They don't like just fields like a mule deer, and they don't, you know, they need some edge, and they don't like too much snow. <laughs> in Pennsylvania and this part of New York, we don't get feet and feet of snow, you know. So once you start getting north of here into like Maine and New Hampshire. You know, there are big, huge deer there, but deer can't really move that well in the snow. So their browse pressure is way less. Hmm. And the ground hemlock, they love to browse. It's like candy for them. It's very similar to balsam fir, which we don't grow balsam fir. The only time you grow balsam fir is if there's a huge microburst at, you know, 4,000 feet on Slide Mountain where there's fewer deer for the same reason. Right now you're getting back into that... uh, Maine, New Hampshire area at that elevation in our area because of just mere elevation, right? Snowpack. So this uh, American U has become, according to Pennsylvania, extirpated. It used to be there, but it no longer is, and that's because of deer. So, and Pennsylvania has, you know, they get really happy, as we do, if we see a trillium, you know. Sugar maple regeneration is like, holy cow. You know, right. We just don't really find that much of it here anymore. Not because it can't grow. It's a perfect site for, for sugar maple. Perfect. Actually, I would say we are in the home of sugar maple's range. But the deer do browse them. So it is a new phenomenon, recent phenomenon in the last 30, 40, 50 years going on. So, um, you is very scarce in New York State as well. It's not just been extirpated from Pennsylvania, but it also is here here as well. The only time you find it is on top of mountains or where it's somehow isolated from deer browse. And, you know, like a cliff face is where I find it. Okay. I found it on a steep growing area right off the side of the road in West Shokin. But the deer just, you know... Even though you could almost reach out and touch the steep side of the hill there, the deer weren't going there. Um, so tonight's show is about not real not real islands, but metaphorical islands. 
islands of vegetation that are kind of cut off from deer and you where you might find plants that are becoming scarce in the landscape in the forested landscape because of uh, browse pressure so we're going to a few examples of those what do you think john well this isn't a good one but my first example is my house yeah for whatever reason deer don't frequent my yard yeah because there's a killer living there yeah me or two of us actually <laughs> <laughs> you know? that that and there's a dog running around i think the dog plays yeah, a big role probably the dog yeah because when we first moved in we closed on the house january 2020 didn't have a dog then and i remember that winter seeing some deer in the yard yeah uh now nothing uh to the point where last year i caught all my ash um or most of them anyway all the hazardous ones and you helped me with that behind the garage and stuff so all those stumps that day i think we cut six or eight trees yeah um, Ash likes to stump sprout when it can. And I don't know if you've seen after, you know, any cutting deer love it to stump sprouts. They'll browse them down to nothing. So, um, in a heavy browse area, you won't see them at all. Yep. All those stumps that we caught and didn't, I should take a picture, um, and show you. They're all five to six foot tall. Wow. All the sprouts. I'm going to recut them this year. That would never happen where I live. Not one nibble on a single one of them. So now you get um, just up the bank and there's a power line and above the power line, I've got a little more, a couple acres of woods up there, deer through there all the time. I put a, I've got a trail camera there every night. There's deer there. Uh, my wife shot a doe on our property out of the tree stand there this year. Yeah. They're there every night. So why they don't come that much lower. So my house between behind my garage and the power line is a little island. Yeah. It happens. There's little islands everywhere. Yeah, so I, I've planted. I've come to realize this. So I planted um, American hazelnut. I planted raspberry, um, and those are the only things outside of a cage. I've kept my apple trees in a cage because I can't risk that. But no. I might throw in a few more things. Just heal them into the ground up there where we cut those ash trees that grows kind of low, and I don't have to worry about trees again. But I don't know if I'm going to worry about a fence there. That could very well be. Uh, CFA's office is uh, like an island just yeah. because of the way the roads are. Route 28 on one side and uh, the parking lot is boxed in. Mm -hmm. you know, I've only seen one deer there ever in 16 years. Yep, I, I was with you. That thing was just a stupid little buck running through the parking lot during the rut. <laughs> I almost fed a buck last night out of my hand. Really? We throw out our scraps to the chickens and deer, I guess, as well. And I came out to throw out the scraps on the side wall, side of the uh, stone wall. He starts walking right towards me. I've seen this <laughs> buck before when I was skinning a deer. He just wouldn't leave me alone. Interesting. Well, he lost his little spikes. But I was like, I know it's you because you're the only idiot that does this. He, like, hangs out with you. He's, like, walking towards me. I even lit a fire to burn some papers, and he wouldn't go away. He just stood in the light of it, feeding <laughs> on it as I walked inside. Amazing. But I thought he was going to come right towards me and get out of my hand. It's pretty neat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, in any case, uh, north-facing slope. So let's go through these islands. So one one uh, metaphorical island, and we mean by metaphorical island, cut off from deer browse or less deer browse. I'm not going to say it's proof by any means. But north-facing slopes in the mountains. These are areas that usually normally see less deer browse. So why is that? Because, well, um, 
when deer are browsing, it's usually in the winter months, um, basically from mid November through March, a deer's diet is mostly woody browse. And on a North slope, you're going to have the worst weather conditions during those months. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So deeper snow, they don't frequent those areas as much. So if you want to find plants that are palatable to deer, like sugar maple seedlings, trillium, spring ephemerals, Dutchman's breeches, ginseng, ginseng, they're almost always on north-facing slopes. And I would, and and some people would say, well, that's because they like those areas. I don't believe that anymore. I think they can grow on southern-facing slopes, but I think the deer brass is more significant. I really do. I think that for sure now. Yeah, because it's not like. You know, you can get a sugar maple on any slope. Um, yeah, and they're a shading canopy. So if you want to say that it's it's canopy cover related, and that's not really true. Um, wet sites. Well, we got wet sites all over the place in the Catskills, even on south facing slopes. So you couldn't say that it's water related. So what's no. I guess what is the other differences? Soil type, maybe. Nah, I mean where I tap, I'm thinking right now, southern facing slope. Yeah, those are nice sugar maples. They're beautiful sugar maples that grew on their own, but they grew in a time in the town of Olive when deer browse was far less. Hmm. They probably grew in the 60s or 70s, I would say. There was a lot more deer then, but there was just young plants growing all over the place back then. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So, yeah, there's no accident that ginseng hunters prefer north-facing slopes. So there you go. Their secret is out. It's not to say you can't find them on south-facing slopes. But um, there is normally less deer browse pressure on them. South-facing slopes, deer just like to hang out there, especially in the colder times. Uh, well, where would you like to be? You know, if you didn't have the luxury of a wood stove and going inside, you'd seek out those warm, sunny southern slopes. Yeah, right. I mean, for uh, anything living outdoors, it's all about calories in, calories out. And if you can lay in the sun... And warm your body temperature rather than burning precious calories of fat on a cold, windy northern slope. Uh, definitely what you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, you, there's cultural things too. Like if you cut more, you have more of a, a greater chance of having regeneration. We have a, a board member in the town of Andes that he manages his forest a lot. But he's on north-facing slope. So I think mixed with those two things have created successful forest regeneration for him. But we have another member who also manages his forest all, very well in Margaretville, but he's on south-facing slope, and it is hammered. I yeah. mean, it's just freaking done. And we have a deer fence there, and there's forest regeneration, obviously, inside the, the deer fence. Right, right. So, Among all sorts of other things growing that's not just tree species. Yeah. So, so... One metaphorical fence, north-facing slopes. Go on to a second. Cliff faces are an obvious one. You ever you ever walk in the woods, especially in the Catskills, and you'll see these what I call cliff towers, or they're like a, a spire or a tower of rock that's kind of separate from the cliff. You yeah, know what I mean, it's just pulled away from glacier movement over the years. Yeah, you know the deer can't get there, so I often look at these areas um, and see what's growing. There's usually a lot of red trillium on them. And things that just deer like to browse is what you'll find there. Nettles. Nettles. I want to say Christmas fern, but I don't know if deer browses. I would think so, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, ginseng, I don't know about that just because the site is, you know, 
growing on rock, and ginseng do need some moisture. But, so I finally found, let's see, an American ginseng, yeah, on a uh, cliff face in Ulster County. This is an area near West Shokin that's just perfect for ginseng, right? It's got sugar maple growing. They're not that old, but they're tall. And they're tall because the site is just damn awesome, right? Really deep soil, forest forest soil. Uh, there's also yellow poplar growing, which we don't get in these northern areas, but in that part of Ulster County, there is yellow poplar. If you were down in the south in Appalachia, yellow poplar is a good indicator of ginseng. That's their sugar maple is the way I would call it. Okay. You know, it's a southern version of sugar maple. So there's both of them, yellow poplar, sugar maple, even a little red oak here and there, just growing awesome. No ginseng. Looking around, but it's so browsed. It is just so browsed. Then I see this cliff, and um, tucked in on the cliff is one little flaccid ginseng. Like it, it almost looks off color, and you touch it, and it uh, wants to keel over. And you th- if you were to just look at it and walk away, you might think it was young. I think it was weak because it was getting browsed every year of its life or every other year of its life when it goes dormant and comes up. So I recommended to the member to put a fence there, and he did. He just stuck a fence that hung off of the uh, cliff face, and the next year it was one of the biggest ginsengs around. Oh, really? Around. And he had it aged, and the guy who aged it from the neck of the root, it was he lost count in the 90s. Wow. Yeah. So that thing's been just struggling every year for 100 years. It's over 90 years old and could be over 100. Wow. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't read the lines after a while. So that's pretty cool. Even cooler was that it, it threw out baby ginsengs all came up in a line after the fence was up. Oh yeah. Wow. I mean they're everywhere. Really cool. So it's really amazing to see this and and we talk about deer all the time on it, but until you see something like that, you know, it, it's, uh, you don't really realize it, <laughs> you know, you can know something, but not realize it or experience it. So that was, that was pretty cool. That area wants to produce ginseng, but they can't, the deer are having their way. Yeah. I've seen, um, similar things of, oh, usually out of Pennsylvania or something, um, Farmers in disbelief that the deer are eating all of their hay as a crop. Yeah. And they'll do the same thing. Not a very very big fence, like a, you know, two by two, you know, four square foot thing. And they set it in the middle of the hay field. And in June, that what's in the, inside of that uh, that fence is double the height of everything else. And it makes you realize how much hay and all the other crops we're losing out there. Pennsylvania's done a lot of these studies. And I forget which book it was. It was either Deer Wars... Or Deer Land. Deer Wars is a lot of it had to do with Gary Alt, and he was the uh, former PA DNR guy who managed deer there. And and uh, Deer Land was written by Al Cambrone, and he he's been on the radio show and from the forest. If you scroll back to the archives, you find that show. But one of those books, and I confused them. They studied that, and it was very significant. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, it won't take long to find an image of that. And, it's yeah, it's it's double the growth sometimes. Yeah, pretty crazy. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. 
And tonight's topic is islands in the forest. We're not talking about real islands per se. It's really metaphorical islands or places where plants can grow and, um, you know, beyond deer, meaning they don't get browsed that much. So that's really what we're talking about. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Brian and John. Tonight's topic is islands in the forest, and we're talking about metaphorical islands or areas you might find occurring in the landscape or the forest that are um, kind of detached from deer browse. 
or the pressure from these large herbivores eating, consuming plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So the first two we covered were uh, cliff faces, definitely one, and north-facing slopes. This other one is more subtle, a mid-slope. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a mid-slope. Yeah, okay. So anecdotally, I feel browses less on these nondescript areas. They're off the beaten path where deer sometimes travel. So when deer navigate the mountains, they don't they, they like to save energy. Alright. If you want to find where deer are, just kinda of walk naturally through the woods and you'll normally end up on a deer path. Usually. That's Not true. all the time. Yep. So a lot of times when I navigate the woods, um, sometimes I'll be messing around with a mapping compass, and I literally do A to B and just boom, just set a bearing, go up the slope. This is not what animals do, right? Because it's irrational, right? It's it's like, I, and I do it sometimes just for exercise to go up some steep slope. But when deer navigate the forest or the mountains, they might go on a shelf. You know, those areas where it goes up and flattens out, something pretty unique to the Catskill Mountains because of our geology. So they'll ride those shelves and contour around the mountain until they come to maybe a ridge. And they'll walk the ridge down. Or, you know, a saddle to get between two points of height, um, height of land. Not all the time. But these mid-slopes sometimes don't get walked upon. And it was in Ulster County again in an area where I've never found ginseng before. I used to patrol it as a ranger. The site conditions are good there. But despite this area being, you know, the wrong aspect, I still found some, some ginseng. Um, I was walking around and on the mid-slope, very indiscreet area, on my compass bearing. And, and a little, let me just back up for a second. Before that's all fern and beach. All right, just browse. Those are two plants that... Deer don't like to browse, so therefore they're very abundant. So a lot of New York fern and American beech growing everywhere. And then I walk up this mid-slope and up oh, sugar maple seedling. Oh, look at that. Oh, maidenhair fern. All right, maidenhair fern. That's another indicator mm-hmm. that there might be less browse pressure. And sure enough, there was one ginseng right there. Pretty cool. Some old sugar maples. Nothing crazy old, but big enough. So, I don't know. That's just something I, I feel uh, about mid-slopes. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be, you know, like a mid-slope up a mountain. It's like a mid-slope between two points the deer are going to be. Like, I'm thinking the slope of the, oh, the median, or the the slope of the bank between the Route 28 and uh, the field below my house. It's like the deer in that field, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And the deer up uh above my house, but that slope in between is just it's just not a natural walking point. It's not something that you would want to walk on either. Right. Uh, maybe with a compass bearing like you do, but it's not how you're gonna get down to that field. You're gonna go angle down the angled slope that naturally takes you there. And yeah, there's there's all sorts of stuff. There's uh on the edges where it gets a little more light from the road, I've found some apple seedlings and deer love to browse those yeah um there's ash abundant that's the main thing regenerating but some sugar maple too yeah ash are medium preference for deer and, and where i live in, in central ulster county they're absent 
Mm-hmm. You don't find them. But once you get north of where I live into Delaware County, ash is a weed. It's growing everywhere in, in many areas. Maybe not from stump sprouts, but as seedlings. Yeah. And it's amazing. But, you know, if it keeps going like the way it is, uh, I think ash will, its demise won't be from the emerald ash borer, I mean, at least the young ones, but from deer. Mm. You know? Getting browsed out. Yeah. I, I mean, geez, everything gets browsed by me. They they even go after multi-floor rows when they're young, I've noticed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen that all over. Yeah. But um, I don't know. You'll see some red trilliums on those mid-slope where, uh, you know, they get very excited again in Pennsylvania if you find red trillium. Um, but it's like that in many places in the Catskills as well because red trillium is, again, preferred by the deer. So what else? So other islands. What are some other islands here? Roads and rivers. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a real river. Um, it can be like a road that acts like a paved river is what I call it. Okay. <laughs> you know? So sometimes these islands are separated by water and paved rivers or roads. There's one example that comes to mind, and Zane and I were putting up an, an owl box in, I think it's the town of Ulster, in Ulster County, just outside the mall area, IBM area in Kingston. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cut off by... Either I-87 or 587. And then, so on one side, and then the other side is uh, the Esopus Creek. So you can't get to this lady's house, really. It's really weird. But she she had hostas growing everywhere. And uh, she says, I never see deer here. And I believe her. She's like, yeah, we don't have brows. Huh. So that that's a very abnormal situation. It's okay. pretty cool. She could plant anything. And she was growing in alluvial soil. So she really should plant more, maybe, because she... She could get away with anything. So it's not so much uh, topography. It's more so just a physical barrier. Yeah. Yeah, this is over where they were growing that hemp. Okay. You know, and you're on uh, Route 209. Mm Mm-hmm. I do. So, but it's pretty pretty neat. Hostas, I mean, in Ulster County, growing. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't know. I've never been in one, but what about... um, you know, an island of, uh, like, a median. Um, I think that's on your list later on. Yeah, it's on the list, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped ahead. <laughs> it just got me no, thinking. Because you said I-87, and it's like, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I've never walked between the two interstate highway roads before. You're always driving. Yeah, I've been wanting to do that for years, and you'd have to get permission. I remember one guy, he was actually going to work on getting me permission years ago. I lost track of who that was. But there's sections of the thruway where there's there's forest in between. Right. And it would be pretty cool to see what is growing there. It's either going to be absent or there's going to be one doe that just lives in there her whole life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? Maybe. Maybe it doesn't leave. <laughs> she might not leave. I don't know. It'd be, I'd be curious to know. I'm, I'm surprised no one's ever kind of done that. The guy, uh, guy around the mower knows, but does he think to look? Or does he even think like that? I don't know. There's got to be deer in those medians, but I'm just saying there's got to be fewer, you know? Right. You would think. You would think they have the same uh, desire to roam, especially at certain times of year, like maybe the rut, and you will get pushed out of there by a buck if it is a doe, if there's one trying to live in there permanently, and that's just going to give it an opportunity to get hit by a car. Yeah. 
and they do get hit, right? Um, cities. Sometimes there's uh, abandoned parking lots and or little edges of forest near like fences and stuff. Deer can't get in. There's a lot of abandoned buildings and stuff, and some of the best vegetation is growing near these areas because anything can grow. Mm-hmm. You know, you find mulberries all over the place, and I mean that that tree obviously can grow through mm-hmm. cracked pavement. But um, there's interesting plants usually growing inside cities. Because they can be isolated from deer. It's not that the deer don't go around there, but sometimes they just can't get in because of, again, the structures around, the roads, the fences, stuff like that. So, at Kingston, when I walk around, you always see cool vegetation growing. Yeah, whenever I uh, used to get my truck service at Toyota, I would walk up towards the mall and you get on those uh, little, tiny little patches of forest between like the mall entrance and. Uh, and the main stretch there, yeah, you could find some cool stuff. Yeah, yep, absolutely. But um, up next, I want to talk about awesome habitat as a uh, island, metaphorical island, isolated from deer browse. They cheated you like a dog And you were the one Who had made it so clear All those years ago Talking off I had to give They don't act with my jealousy
You're just tuning in. You're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. This is George Harrison. Um, tonight's topic is islands in the forest, and we're talking about metaphorical islands that are separated from high deer browse pressure where the plants that are palatable can grow. So we discussed them growing on north-facing slopes, as an example, and cliff faces and mid-slopes. And mediums growing in highways. We're curious about those. Don't really know for sure on that one. Um, areas that are isolated by roads, paved rivers, as I call them, and uh, rivers, actual rivers as well. So another one is awesome habitat. And there's not too many examples of this, unfortunately. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's not much awesome habitat out there. That, and what do I mean by awesome habitat? I mean awesome habitat for deer. So if the deer aren't satisfied and they don't have enough to eat, they're going to eat your forest is what I'm saying. But in this rare instance, in the town of Platicill, do you know where the town of Platicill is, John? Mm, is it anywhere? It's got to be Green County, right? It's Ulster. It so is Ulster. In Ulster, it's kind of near Marlboro and Highland area, uh, Apple Country. Okay. All right. A lot of Italians moved there early 1900s. And to this day, still a lot of those Dalians around. And when you're driving on the thruway, you're looking at areas like Ardonia, Milton, uh, Platicill. That's where the thruway goes, right through Platicill. Okay. Have you seen those apple trees? Yes. On I-87 I south of New Paltz. Now I know you're talking. So that's Platicill. There was one member there, and uh, Italian last name, I'm not going to say his name. But he owned about 100 acres, which is a pretty significant size parcel there of forest, forested land. Okay. And it was on a ridge, you know, on this isolated ridge, all forested, maple, oak, you know, what you what you think you'd find. But um, he had excellent forest regeneration of oak seedlings and sugar maple seedlings growing everywhere. It was just awesome. I've never seen anything like it. In fact, to this day, I still think it was one of the best regeneration I've ever seen in the area within the six counties of the Catskills. And, but straddling the valleys of each of these ridges are huge, huge apple orchards. <laughs> I mean, really big. And uh, so the apples, obviously, deer love apples, and that takes the browse pressure off, but not as much as you think, because in the fall, you know, the apples are dropping, so they're not browsing that much then. So that's good. Sure, but by like what December, January, the apples are gone for sure. Yeah, some of them may be holding on. You know, there's a lot of fields there, too, and if the snow cover is reduced, and a lot of times it is down there, the grass is green. It's, it's shining through that snow. Hmm. So that takes that takes some browse pressure off. Also, there's a lot of edge around apple orchards, a ton of it. So they have a lot of that to browse, you know, where the sunlight meets the forest edge from the apple orchard. So there's just awesome habitat around there. So that's one way. Not really an island but the way pressure can be reduced. And, and uh, seeing that was really believing it, to me at least. Okay, so can that be mimicked on a smaller scale? I don't know about a smaller scale. You, you need a big orchard to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, not unless you made a really big mess and laid a lot of trees down, but uh, that'd be tough. That, to have that successful regeneration, I think, would be difficult. You need everyone kind of doing their thing, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, 
It's like when you're kind of the only person who has apple trees around. You know, you're screwed. Everything's gonna want to go after him. Right. The you know, who gets yeah? Who gets the worst bear damage? Is that guy who grows apple trees on the edge of uh, the forest preserve? Dude, I, I know all about it. Up on uh, there where the you know the hunting camp is that I go to. Those trees are the nicest ones around. Yeah, there's a couple other lingering in a few yards here and there, but nothing significant. No, they get hammered. Oh my gosh, they get hammered. They get hammered. Um, so the other metaphorical island would be coarse woody debris. So if you leave a wreckage behind after you cut trees and you don't take them out for firewood and you leave them on the ground, you're creating hopefully an obstacle course for the deer. They don't want to go underneath all that stuff, and sometimes you'll get seedlings. I'm not going to promise every time, but sometimes you will. Yep. I've got a uh, elderberry bush coming out of a uh, ash top that I cut. Back in 2016, I cut it and left it there. Yeah. Elderberries now taller than the, the ash top that's since almost rotted away, and there's no doubt that would not have been there. Even in low deer pressure, that's that's a shrub that gets hammered fast. I mean, yeah, elderberry. No, They love elderberry, which makes me think of um, flipping back to the north-facing slope. It's where you find um, – or even elevation would be another example of of a metaphorical island you don't run into witch hobble until you get higher up in elevation and a lot of that has to do with there's just fewer deer up there mm -hmm. browsing i won't say there's definitely fewer deer but it's just they're browsing less so right. witch hobble which you can have witch <laughs> hobble sucks walk through it's <laughs> terrible man that stuff is that stuff is is worse than mountain laurel, maybe. I don't know. That's that's a lot to say. I'll take it back. I'll take it back. No, it's mountain laurel's way worse. Mountain laurel stinks. Yeah, it's like thick, thick balsam on a Adirondack hillside. That yeah. sucks too. Balsam, yeah, that can stink too. You're right. So things you can do. What are some things you can do? All right. So you only own maybe 15 acres, 17 acres, right? Average parcel size around 17 acres in the Catskills. So you can't just cut every tree or pray that your neighbor puts up a thousand acre apple orchard to reduce deer browse pressure in your neck of the woods. So you can fence. It's very expensive though, uh, but fencing works. High tensile woven wire, even more expensive, but proven. It has to be eight feet. You know, you could probably get away with six, but I would do it with plastic at that point. It's a lot cheaper. You do have to maintain them. You know, trees come down on them. Especially in the winter when there's ice rime and stuff's just coming down. Plastic gets stuck to the ground if it comes down, frozen. Mm -hmm. That can be a hassle. Yep, but deer can get under them if they're not well tacked down by something. You know, just a little bit of an edge and they can slip their nose under. They'll try it. Yeah. I guess you could try repellents, but to create that metaphorical island. But um, that's, I don't know, you got to keep up with that stuff. Right. Cut. You can cut trees, get more sunlight, and create an obstacle course by leaving coarse woody debris like we mentioned before. You may have to control the competing vegetation through herbicides. Um, but cutting is labor-intensive. It's the most dangerous job on land. It's a lot of work. If you're paying someone to do it, it's expensive. It can be upwards of $300 an acre. Uh, but it can create excellent structural habitat for wildlife so that's that's good but um also should know the difference in timber management and wildlife management 
timber management is, you know, trying to nourish the very best trees in your in your woodlot. Wildlife management is usually a lot more cutting, a lot more cutting, and you wouldn't want to do it in an area where the trees are straight growing and of desirable species and, and form. So I would avoid those really good sites that could be potentially used for timber in the future. But um, wildlife management, a lot more cutting. You can leave trees with poor form, but that have maybe produced like a mast crop, like acorns and cherries and stuff like that. It's just totally different. Or you can plant. And, you know, planting is great, but, uh, you know, a lot of times people, I've seen so many planting failures where people just set them and forget them and trees get run over and weeds grow around them and the voles eat them and then when they produce a crop, the bears kill them. So you, you, you can't just plant a tree and forget about it. Especially if it's going to produce fruit. It's got to be somewhere where you're going to visit it likely every day. Yeah. Um, I know of one that someone put a lot of, lot of money and even put up. It was a poor quality fence at the end, and that's what really kind of screwed them. It was like a five-acre orchard up on a hilltop. Would have been really cool if it succeeded. But it was something that he didn't even live on site, maybe visited a couple times a month. And, uh, yeah, the fence failed, and all those tree seedlings are gone. Yeah. There's a reason why um, areas, wealthy areas like Connecticut have, you know, arborists around because it it takes a lot of time and money to maintain trees that are planted in the landscape. Mm -hmm. So uh, you either need someone around who has sweat equity into the trees or you need to pay someone if you're going to be planting them. Yeah, I saw one guy in Gramsville. He planted hundreds of apple trees, and they wanted to grow, and they did. But he put fences around them. That's a good thing, right? Deer can't get them. Fences go from the ground up to about five feet, right? Mm. 80% of them, 85% died. From voles? Voles. Yep. Let the weeds grow up, and then the voles ate the stems. It was It's heartbreaking. The amount of labor it took to create these trees all the time, putting up these fences. A hundred trees? They all grew, too. These trees are growing like crazy. And the money. I mean, that's that's uh, many thousands of dollars. Oh, ten, yeah. He probably spent over, I want to say, probably over ten grand. Wow. That's a lot of labor, you know. But anyway, um, if you're just tuning in, this was From the Forest, and tonight's topic was Islands in the Forest, talking about metaphorical islands. Areas that you might encounter in the mountains or in the forest or even in your backyard that are somehow escape the uh, pressure of deer browsing. But uh, yeah, about 30 seconds. John? Well, if you're interested in any of these services, the um, Catskill Forest Association has a habitat management program of doing some cutting in the woods that might help you create an island. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all you got. And... Uh, have a good night. Up next, I think we have an invasive species group, educational group from the St. Lawrence area talking next week. So we'll Great. get them on. And uh, have a good night. Good night, everyone. All right. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. 
seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. And the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway, and the bottle was his friend. And the old man stumbled in from the forest. Up a dark and dingy staircase, the old man made his way. His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear Upon his mantle shining the face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime of a long forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom in the forest She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name And then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games In an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town Where the river runs down from the forest With the mighty roar, the big jet soars above the canyon streets And the con men con, but life goes on for the city never sleeps And to an old forgotten soldier the dawn will come no more For the old man has come home